Welcome, TTB community. I am Bob Demena, and here with me, as always, is the unwavering Elliot Shibley. Unwavering. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bob. You're welcome. So, before we get into the episode, before Bob continues to go on a rant, I will get into a few items that we have going on behind the scenes. Firstly, if you like our podcast and you want to know more about our guests, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We post all of our guest photos related to the conversation on those platforms. And we have a YouTube channel, which you can subscribe and get all of our latest episodes, which include little clips. It includes full episodes. It includes the Travel Around Table series, which I'll get into later. And it includes 15-minute segments. And it sometimes includes fun videos that Bob and I might do on our own adventures. Lastly, uh, we have a lot of stuff updated on our website. If you go to the website, you will be asked to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. If you do, you get a free tra travel cheat sheet that Bob has diligently worked on, and it'll just help you plan for your next trip. Just a few pointers to go over. We now have consulting services where you can work directly with Bob to plan your next trip in very detailed and meticulous uh, detail. Yeah. <laughs> We have a travel blueprint tutorial video, a series of them in production that will basically expand on the travel cheat sheet in a lot more depth. And to tie into that, we have a book slash workbook in production, which will follow with the traveler blueprint tutorials. So the book will be a vast expansion on the cheat sheet and the workbook will allow you to plan your next trip. And... Very excited. We have our own Philadelphia tour guide that you can book directly through our website. Kessler uh, Lucknard Tourism has two tours available, one on the history of Philadelphia and the other on something else very interesting that I do not remember offhand. Do you, Bob? Yeah, it was the rail line, correct? The rail line. Yes, that's yes. it. Yeah. So if you go and you book through our website, you can take a tour with Kessler. Yeah. And those, those tours are exclusive to the Traveler's Blueprint website. You cannot book them anywhere else. Yeah, it's very exciting. All right, Bob, very who exciting. is our guest today? Our guest today is recurring. This is his fourth time on the podcast, which I think alone says something. He came to us maybe uh, over a year ago a now. Year, we yeah. talked about Peru. We talked about uh, ayahuasca and psychoactive drugs. He's come on to talk about Mesoamerican culture. We've talked about... Um, psychoactive drugs of the world? Psychoactive drugs of the world. And today, we're going to talk about animals that use drugs and animals that were used as drugs. So, super it's like interesting. That, it's like that uh, episode of Family Guy where they start licking the frogs. Right, right. Well, exactly. Exactly like that. So Came from um, somewhere. Uh, yeah, if if you enjoy this podcast, definitely recommend you going back and listening to some of the older conversations we had with him. Uh, and, and without further introduction, please give it up for our next guest, Scott Light. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Scott, welcome back to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. This is episode number four with you now. Yeah, four yes, Pete. Right. Four Pete. Now we haven't even had it. You're the only two Pete. Officially, the only four Pete. This is pretty. Uh, this is this is remarkable stuff that we're doing right now. So <laughs> today, you're bringing us a new topic. Now we've talked about the psychoactive drugs of Peru. Then we talked about the uh, psychoactive drugs around the world, um, and now we're we're moving into animals and and you know what here you you take it you take it yeah so today thanks for having me back i, I yeah. love doing this i really uh, appreciate you guys having me on so often and uh i hope your listeners enjoy the show um but yeah today we're going to talk about animals which use drugs and if we have time we may talk about animals which are used as drugs by people um so yeah uh it's going to be all over the world and uh, all sorts of species of animals. And uh, yeah, we'll just, uh, we'll just jump right into it if you guys want to. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Let's do it. Where are you um, taking us first? Well, so bef before the show opened up, I asked the guys if they wanted to hear something very uh, sensational and crazy, but we won't start immediately with that. We'll, we'll start with something else. Um, <laughs> a related topic though. Uh, so I think it was in the mid 2000s, they had built these, these little submersible cameras, which they would disguise as like a, uh, 
a turtle or a nautilus and they were basically filming underwater you know wildlife and it was camouflaged as, as another animal so that the the fish or the dolphins or whatever they were filming wouldn't get spooked so they were i i don't know where they were they were in the ocean <laughs> i don't know where it was <laughs> but um they were filming a pod of young male dolphins and it seems that the for some reason the young male dolphins are the ones that do this more than more than any you know the older dolphins or female dolphins or whatever experimental is, teenage boys exactly exactly yeah um yeah single young male dolphins uh so the uh the turtle i think it was that had a, a camera on it a, a robot turtle um it filmed the young male dolphins they had they're basically attacking a puffer fish but they weren't trying to kill it or eat it uh, the pufferfish contains tritatotoxin, which we talked about in a previous episode with the with the Haitian zombies, and it's a um, it's a powerful toxin, but it's also a psychoactive. As we discussed before, it's used in Japan as sashimi, the uh, the fugu, and yeah, it has this this really really strong chemical in it. But basically, the dolphins were making the pufferfish angry. And it would blow up and release the, the toxin, toxin and related compounds. And the, uh, the young male dolphins would, one of them would bite it and kind of swim around for a little bit. And then he would pass it off to a friend. And the dolphins would become intoxicated off of this, uh, this pufferfish venom. And they seemed to, to actively seek out the pufferfish. And um, basically, they, they knew exactly what they were doing and, and why they were doing it. They were, they were trying to get high. <laughs> that's really interesting dolphins are fascinating uh isn't it true that we don't understand like a majority of their language we don't even really understand fully how they're communicating and the full scale of their intelligence well um i i'm not exactly sure about that i don't know too much about about dolphins and marine life but yeah i think we have discovered that they actually they have certain uh vocalizations that that definitely mean certain things um, I, I believe I, I read a study that basically they, they recorded the, uh, the vocalizations of certain dolphins, such as a, a warning vocalization, and they would play it to another group and the group would scatter and things like that. So I think we've actually deciphered some of dolphin language, which is, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah um, cool. So while we're on the subject of dolphins, we'll talk about the strangest thing I've ever heard. And this is the strangest thing I've ever heard. If there are any children in the room, they should, they should leave. Uh, <laughs> and this is not directly related to, uh, to psychoactives, but it's sort of on the same subject of interaction of humans and dolphins. So in, um, in the Northeast of Peru is the, the, the city of Iquitos. It's the largest city in the world that cannot be reached by, by car. Uh, it has to be reached by plane or by boat. So, and it's a, it's kind of a, I wouldn't personally recommend anyone go there. It's a little bit dangerous. Um, it's sort of the center of the ayahuasca tourism, the modern day ayahuasca tourism. And, you know, that's fine. Like people need, uh, they, they need sources for ayahuasca. I think that's a legitimate thing. But it's become such a big tourism industry there. There's a lot of unscrupulous uh, shamans, and I'm putting shamans in parentheses there, who kind of prey on naive gringos uh, and sort of just take their money and don't deliver the best experience. However, there's also really good ones there, but that's a story for another time. Uh, so there's this, this myth, uh, this, these, these stories in, in Iquitos about these dolphins that will transform themselves into men or sometimes women, and they will come on into the town or village. And it's not just in the city of Quitos, but in this, in this whole general area, the Amazon. And they will seduce uh, young men or young women. And they always wear a hat. And if you take their hat off, they'll still have a blowhole. So if, if you're ever being seduced in a Quitos by, by a, a beautiful young lady or, or man, make sure you take off their hat and check if they have a blowhole and it's not a dolphin. Um, <laughs> because it's, it's said sometimes that, that they will, uh, they may lure the person into the water and then drown them. Or sometimes if, if a lady or a girl is, you know, she has a boyfriend or a husband and she happens to get pregnant, but it's not by her husband, she'll say, 
oh, the, the dolphin seduced me. It wasn't my fault because it's like a magical spell that they put on you and, and they're basically irresistible. Um, so that's, that's an excuse for having a, a child out of wedlock in uh, certain parts of the Amazon. Hmm. But that's not the craziest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> the craziest thing I've ever heard. So I was drinking with my buddy Arturo, who is a, a Peruvian guy. We were in Terrapoto, which is a bit south of Iquitos. And he started telling me this story about men in Iquitos who there's these, these clubs and, and discotecas near the river. And they would get drunk and go down to the river and the, uh, the dolphins would actually beach themselves. The dolphins were doing this willingly and men would have sex with dolphins. Apparently the dolphin's anatomy looks a lot like uh, a female's. And uh, yeah, this is a thing. I didn't really believe him. I was like, dude, there's no way that happens. But uh, I looked it up and I asked some other Peruvians and apparently that's true. And uh, Arturo got a little upset. He was like, he was like, man, he's like, have you ever heard the noise that a man and a dolphin make when they're having sex? It's terrible. <laughs> oh my God. I was just dying laughing. But uh, yeah, that's the strangest thing I've ever heard. I, I can't top that. We're, so are these like river dolphins? Yeah, they're the pink river dolphin. Um, they have a very strange uh, twisted beak. So their mouth actually opens like uh, vertically instead of horizontally. And I guess that's they can catch fish more easily that way. But, but I guess the what is the reason? So and I mean, this is how coronavirus is going to spread. They're going to make a new one. Yes, yeah, they're, they're going to make a new one down there. There's going to be the the dolphin virus. Yeah, come yeah. on now. This is whoa. <laughs> yes, I I told you it was crazy. Um. But apparently, I think some of the mythology about the dolphins seducing people came from from this this practice. Um, so it's just drunk guys who can't get human women. Yep. Who then? And, and, now the dolphins, the population of dolphins, know, like, okay, let's just chill on the riverbank. Maybe around this time at night, the human beings will come, and we <laughs> just beach ourselves, and, exactly, and we get laid. Exactly, and then, and then we go back into the river. Now, I have, I have, a, I have a few questions. Yeah, yeah. I bet. <laughs> um, how long can a dolphin stay out of water without dying? Well, I mean, dolphins breathe air, right? So I suppose that Bob. What kind of question was that? Wait, wait. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good point. Yeah, I, but I don't. I, I'm not sure. I mean, um, but they I, don't I, need to be in water. No. So a dolphin, no, but a dolphin, it can't. It's designed for water, but they can breathe on land. Right, but isn't there something, that their skin needs to stay Yeah, I would wet, imagine, right? I would imagine you couldn't, like, take a dolphin home and, and put it on your couch and just hang out with it for a couple of days. But, yeah. Uh, but, <sighs> and, and I think Long whales, enough, I guess. All right. Yeah, long, long enough. I, I think whales, because of their, their huge mass, if, they're, if they beach themselves, their own body sort of begins to crush them because they don't have the buoyancy of the water, but okay. the dolphin being so much smaller, uh, I think it, it doesn't seem to have a problem with it. Uh, hmm. But there's, there's reports of, um, there was a researcher in the United Ugh. States that was, that was uh, investigating dolphin sexuality. And there's, uh, there's also reports of dolphins raping like scuba divers and stuff. I have heard that. So have yeah. I. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that'll, <laughs> That'll lead us in, into something else. Um, oh, geez. Uh, oh, no, sli slightly more scientific and, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, a little less strange. Um, so animals of higher intelligence, like monkeys, like dolphins, uh, you know, m mammals. Uh, I'm not aware of any reptiles that use drugs. And I don't know if that's because they're sort of, of, of lower intelligence or what it is. But these animals of higher intelligence seek out drugs and, and sex is recreation. Um, dolphins are known to, obviously, as we talked about, uh, recreationally have sex, not just for procreation. So pleasure seeking and altering the mind seems to be something that more intelligent or, you know, higher animals do. Um, and the reptiles and things like that, as far as I'm aware, I haven't found any references in my research to, to reptiles using drugs. It's only mammals. And actually people, it's been noted in some studies that people of higher intelligence tend to use drugs more than than people of lower intelligence 
although it, it may, depending on what you're doing, it may ruin your life. And it's not a very intelligent practice if you're, you know, drinking too much or whatever it may be. But uh, point being, it, more intelligent people tend to use drugs more often. Really? Hmm. Yeah, that, that's what I've heard. Um, so, you know, as, as we're talking about this, uh, there's a really popular video on YouTube that you guys can look up. Uh, it's from an old documentary, I think from like the 50s or 60s, where they're in Africa and, excuse me, and um, they, a certain time of year, these trees in, in the African savannas, they fruit and, and the tree, uh, the fruit ferments and then things like elephants, boars, monkeys, and uh, other animals will get drunk off this fermented fruit and be stumbling around and, and falling all over the place. And they're pretty, uh, they're pretty blasted from the fruit. Now that practice, we're not sure if the animals are, they're probably seeking out the fruit for sustenance and the, the psychoactive effects are secondary, but we do have many examples of animals who are just looking to get high, but that one might not be one. Hmm. So the one that I, I don't, I hope you're going to talk about it are the <laughs> lemurs in Madagascar. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so there are lemurs in Madagascar. And also I found out that capuchins in the Amazon do a very, very similar thing. Um, they will seek out a, a certain type of millipede and the millipede uh, has venom in it, which has a, a psychoactive effect if, if taken in a proper dose. I think if, if they were to eat the whole thing, it would probably kill them. But what they do is they, they make it angry, they piss it off, they like slap it against a tree or they bite it or something, and it begins to excrete this, this venom. And they'll kind of lick it, and then they rub it all over their body. It has two effects in that it has a psychoactive effect. They appear to be drugged. They start like drooling and staring off into space and kind of like a little bit of foam coming out of their mouth and stuff. They look pretty, uh, they look pretty blasted. But the, the secondary effect is that it, it's an insecticide so that it could prevent um, bites from mosquitoes that carry diseases like malaria or dengue, which um, monkeys and apes can also get just like humans can. And, you know, we, we need to think about this in evolutionary terms. So the, the monkey gets a reward of, of a, a high by using the millipede, but it probably developed because it was an insecticide and, and the monkeys that used the millipedes were uh, more resistant to, to diseases and were able to pass on their, uh, their genes to the next generation. So it's, it's bred in their evolution basically. And they've probably been doing it for thousands or tens of thousands of years. It's really interesting. Yeah. Um, do you guys know who, Tycho, uh, go ahead. You're going to ask something? No, no, go for it. Okay. Um, do you guys I'm just know taking who, this all in. Taking yeah, it all in. Yeah. yeah, yeah, this is, I, I love this subject because it's so strange and uh, it's, a, it's a very, not a very well-known subject at all. Um, there is one book about this subject. It's called Psychedelics and Animals. Uh, it would be much better if the title was Psychoactives and Animals because really in only one of the cases with the reindeer and the Amanita muscaria, could we say that it's a true psychedelic? A psychedelic is, uh, for, for those who don't know, I know you guys do, is your sort of uh, classic, uh, your classic psychedelics like uh, magic mushrooms, uh, peyote, and ayahuasca. But most of the, uh, the drugs that animals are using would be better classified as psychoactives, such as the fermented fruit or the millipede. But of course, we don't know exactly what's happening in the mind of, of these animals. So anyway, the book is called Psych uh, Psychedelics and Animals. It's by a guy, I think his last name's Summerini, Summerini, something like that. And that's one of my sources for a lot of this information. Oh, also, while I'm on the subject of sources, there's another YouTube video. Uh, it's just put in BBC Peculiar Potions. And it's a, they have a whole 30-minute episode about various animals that, that use drugs and, and intoxicate themselves. BBC guys, did that. BBC did that. In, I think it looked like it's from the 80s or 90s. Oh, that and, sounds about right. Yeah, and it, it talks about you know cats and catnip, uh, the reindeer, um, 
Well, let's talk about hedgehogs really quick. Hedgehogs are like insane and, and they seem to, they're kind of like wild and, and don't seem to care about their health. They really actively seek out psychoactives, um, sometimes at the detriment of their, of their health. Um, the hedgehogs are, they need to go to rehab apparently. Yeah. Well, is that why Sonic is, <laughs> seems like he always just did a line of cocaine? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, but in the, in the peculiar potions YouTube video, these hedgehogs are like opening cans of paint and other like creosote and really noxious chemicals. And they just go for them and just eat them. And <laughs> while they eat them or after they eat them, their mouth will foam up and they'll spread this, this foam from their mouth all over their spines and on their back. And that's also thought that it may have an insecticide effect or a, uh, it, it could be a deterrent to predators because the, the predator smells the hedgehog and it smells like paint thinner or something and it doesn't want to eat it. Um, and the hedgehogs sort of go into a comatose state for like 20, 30 minutes and then they wake up and they're fine. I don't know if they have <laughs> really powerful little livers or, or what the deal is. but Junky little animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah the hedgehogs are pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, do you guys know who, I, I might say this wrong, I'm always terrible with pronunciation. Do you know who Tycho Brahe or Tycho Bray? Tycho Brahe? I believe he was a philosopher or something. No, no, I okay. don't. Okay, well, I should have looked this up, but I think he was some sort of like, I think he was a contemporary of Isaac Newton or somebody like that. But uh, if people want to know the true story, they should look it up. But I, th I think 1700s, 1800s, something like that, maybe before. But uh, he had a moose, he had a pet moose, and he would bring it to parties and they would get the moose wasted. Like they would give it a giant trough of beer and the moose would just drink it and fall around and stumble all over the place. And this was great fun at parties and, and they would ride the moose and do all sorts of crazy things with this moose. <laughs> I have heard of moose getting drunk off of fermented pumpkins. Oh, really? I have not yeah. heard that. That's yeah. interesting. After, especially after Halloween and Thanksgiving, all of the pumpkins that are just sitting in people's gardens mm -hmm. or on their stairs in places like Maine or Alaska or Canada, they'll just like grab the pumpkin, eat it, and it'll be partially fermented and then they'll get drunk. Very interesting. Very interesting. But see, that would be to me another um, thing where I'm not sure if the moose is seeking it out for sustenance and then the secondary effect is the psychoactive or if it knows that it's going to get drunk off the, off the fruit. Right. Yeah. Um, I think for the most part, it's just sustenance. I think so as well. I would agree. Um, yeah, because I mean, it's obviously a, a, a readily available food source and uh, you know, animals like everyone like to eat food and uh, <laughs> you know, have nutrients. Right. But there are many other cases of uh, like with the millipedes and the monkeys where it seems that they're, they're seeking out the, uh, well, another great example is, you know, cats and catnip. Uh, cats don't get any sustenance from catnip or maybe a very, very minimal amount if they eat it. But my cat last night, so I was researching this stuff and, and I was like, oh, I need to give my cat some drugs because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading about all this for stuff. science. Yeah. Yeah, for science, yeah. So, so I put a lot of catnip, like a really big pile on a plate and I kind of rubbed it in my hands and, and broke it up. And I thought that the cats would just, you know, like take a little bit and then, you know, leave it for later. I have three cats, so I figured they would all use it. Well, the, uh, the mother cat, the oldest one, she went over to it and just like stuck her face in the plate and rubbed it all over her body, spread catnip all over the house and was so high. Like my wife kind of was mad at me. She was like, I can't believe you got our cat this high. And I was like, I was like, look, he chose, she chose to do it, you know? Right. <laughs> I didn't make them. I've actually, I have two cats. I've never seen a cat high on catnip. I thought it was, had a mellowing effect, but it, um, it doesn't, right? So, so last night, my cat, I, uh, I saw her walk by and I didn't know what she was doing. And then I heard all this noise and she was rolling around in the catnip and her pupils were dilated. Like you almost couldn't see any color in her eye. It was, they were just black and <laughs> And she was rolling around and, and, you know, sort of kittenish like behavior, playing with stuff. Uh, and that lasted for about 30 minutes where it seemed stimulating and, and she was running around the house and stuff like that. And then she just conked out and went to sleep uh, for the rest of the night, actually. <laughs> so it, it seems to have a, uh, 
a stimulating and then a sedating effect after a certain amount of time. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's also in the, so catnip will have a calming effect on humans, a very mild calming effect. Some people actually smoke catnip as a, as a cannabis substitute, but it's very, very mild. Now, we don't know exactly what happens in the, in the, in the mind of the cat when, when they ingest catnip, but it seems to be very different from what happens to humans. And it seems much more powerful in the, in the cats. Uh, one interesting thing is that it, it seems to work on almost all species of cats, but with, within a species, it'll only work on a certain amount. You know, it may be 50%, it may be 80%, I'm not sure. But there are certain cats that either they're not interested or it just doesn't affect them. You know, just like there's humans that, that, that don't drink, there are certain cats that are like, no, I, you know, I'm Catholic, I don't <laughs> drink or whatever. Um, but point being, humans and, and cats obviously have different brain chemistry. So the, the catnip has a different effect on them than it does on us. And while we're on the subject of, of cats, if you ask native people in the Amazon, depending on which culture you're in, how did you guys discover ayahuasca? Uh, one of the answers they will give is, oh, well, we've always known about it, which is kind of like, uh, like okay. Um, the other answer is, we, th sometimes they'll say we learn from tobacco. The spirit of tobacco taught us this. They would um, smoke or chew or uh, snort tobacco. And they say that the grandfather tobacco spirit told them to use ayahuasca. However, the other answer is that the jaguars taught us to use it. And jaguars will seek out the ayahuasca plant. And they will chew the leaves and the, and the bark of it. And they're probably doing this as, as a purgative. Most of these things have two, two effects. Just like cats and dogs will chew grass when they're sick to make themselves puke, the jaguar will uh, ingest the ayahuasca leaves and, and small branches to make itself purge. However, uh, and if you watch the Peculiar Potions from BBC, you can see a video of a jaguar which appears to be inebriated by the ayahuasca plant. Now, they're not using the DMT-containing portion, uh, the, the psychotria. They're only using the vine portion, which contains beta-carbolines. But, you know, we don't know exactly what kind of effect that would have because they have different brain chemistry. But they, they certainly seek out ayahuasca and, um, and become inebriated on, on the ayahuasca vine. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, you know, that humans probably observed the, the jaguar eating the ayahuasca vine and, and saw some of the effects from it. And then they said, Hey, let's, uh, let's, let's try it as well. You know? Um, so this is a, this is a theme throughout the world in that humans have in many times learned from, from animals to use drugs. So in uh, I believe it's, I want to say it's Gabon, but somewhere in Africa, um, there are gorillas that seek out the tabernanth aboga plant, which is, um, Iboga uh, contains ibogaine. There's also another plant called Altrinia. It's in the Altrinia genus. Uh, and these are used as aphrodisiacs at lower doses and as a visionary uh, psychedelic at higher doses. Uh, but the people say that they learned of this practice from the gorillas. And the gorillas, they know how to dig up the roots. And the roots are very bitter. So in this case, we can be fairly sure that they're not ingesting it for a uh, as a nutritive, uh, you know, as sustenance, they're ingesting it strictly as a drug. And they not only know how to dig up the plant, but they know how to distinguish the exact plant from the hundreds or thousands of other species in the jungle in this area of Africa. So they, they actively seek out this and, and it, it seems to be strictly for drug use, not sustenance. It, it always interests me thinking about how humans came to use eat and understand the environment you always hear you know who was the first person to try this who you know who was the first person to drink milk from a cow who you know <laughs> it, it, all of those things interest me um, absolutely and and that's one reason why it's so important so i mean basically i think one of the ways they did it was you know watching animals and things like that uh, but at some point somebody just had to experiment and right there was actually a tribe, I believe, or a native group uh, in North America 
where the initiation of the young boys was for them to try a plant unknown to the tribe. Um, so that, or, or that they, they know about the plant, but no one's ever eaten it. So the young men would be given a mixture of, or a, a, a plant that they don't know if it's edible, medicinal, whatever. Um, sometimes nothing would happen to them and they would just say, you know, oh, that's a, that's a tasty root and it's good, you're initiated. And other times they would like get sick and die. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, but how did who was like the first person to pick a mushroom off of a piece of cow poop and eat it? So uh, Terence McKenna has the the stoned ape theory. I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but this is basically the idea that humans in in Africa, you know, sixty thousand, hundred thousand years ago, or whatever. Uh, basically that our evolution was sped up by the use of psychoactive and psychedelic plants. And Terence proposes that on the plains of Africa, there were not a, you know, a huge amount of food sources. So during times of famine or uh, when there wasn't much food, people would have been likely to try many, many things because, you know, they, they were willing to take the risk because they were, they were starving. So the the mushrooms like psilocybe cubensis that grow on the dung of not only cattle but you know the uh african buffalo and things like things like that would have definitely been noticed by these these early humans they're pretty um conspicuous you can you can even see them from a distance sometimes you know they're soft and and you can just pop them right out of the ground and eat them so humans in in ancient africa likely would have tried the, the psilocybe cubensis and, and other mushrooms now if you eat a small amount of it a small amount of psilocybin, it increases visual acuity. Uh, I think I said that right. There was a, a study done in the 1960s where people who had taken a small dose of psilocybin could notice quicker when they, they had two lines on a, on a screen and the lines would skew and they were parallel and then they would skew. And the people on, on a small dose of psilocybin could notice when those lines skewed way before people who were stone cold sober. So that uh, tells us that it, it increases, you know, your, your vision. And basically, if you're walking around hunting and a, a monkey or something moves slightly in a tree, the person who is slightly, uh, who has a small amount of psilocybin in their body will be able to see that movement easier than someone who is not. So that's the first evolutionary advantage to small amounts of psilocybin. Yeah. Go ahead. Joe Rogan um, talks about it. And he's had Dennis McKenna on his podcast but a lot of fighters, like UFC fighters or people who are training in MMA, will microdose the mushrooms, hmm. and they'll say that it enhances their reaction time when fighting somebody. Wow, that's and interesting. They'll actually take it almost daily on in minor, minor doses, right? Just enough to have have that enhancement in their motor skills, but not to impact anything else. Right. I mean, obviously, if you take too much, you're not going to be hunting at all. You're going to be laying in the hut, just you know, tripping. Um, but, uh, but I, I do want to just say that it was actually Terrence McKenna that proposed this, uh, Dennis McKenna is, is an amazing person and an, and an awesome scientist. I actually met him about two years ago. Great, great guy. But it, it was his late brother, Terrence McKenna that proposed the, uh, the stoned ape theory. Okay. Okay. And so the second part of it is that, uh, small amounts of psilocybin also increase, uh, sexual desire. So the humans that had ingested small amounts of psilocybin were better hunters and likely to have more babies, thus passing on uh, these genes. Yeah. So in, in addition to all these other animals that, that use psychoactives, we also have uh, crows and rooks and other birds will sometimes dust themselves, or it's also known as anting. And they will basically sit down in an anthill and sort of smack it with their wings and make the ants angry. And the ants will come out and spray compounds like formic acid and other natural insecticides. However, some of the birds seem to become addicted to doing this and will basically sit on an anthill all day. <laughs> now, it's not all the birds. It's only a, sm a small minority, just like in humans. It's, you know, not everyone gets addicted, but, uh, but some do. Other birds will seek out uh, medicinal plants or tobacco or things like this uh, to, to put in their nest, which prevents uh, insects and, you know, parasites from affecting their chicks. So 
that's not necessarily a psychoactive use, but a, a medicinal use. But it's pretty amazing to me that that a bird, um, which doesn't seem like the most intelligent animal to me, but a, but that a bird will, uh, you know, know what these medicinal plants are and seek them out and put them in their nest to to protect their uh, to protect their young. Right. Um, and while we're on the ants, real quick. There are, there's a certain ant, and I, I can't remember which species it is, but a certain ant, it, uh, it keeps, I, I don't know if it like captures the beetle or if they live in symbiosis with the ant or what, but this beetle excretes a psychoactive compound, and I, I, I do not know what chemicals it contain. Um, and this sort of goes against the thing I said earlier of, of higher animals only being the ones that use uh, psychoactives, but this is the only reference I could find to an insect uh, actively seeking out a psychoactive, but they keep this beetle in their nest. The, the beetle excretes this stuff. If anything attacks the beetle, the ants go crazy and try to kill it. And also if there's like a flood or something, the ants will take the beetle to higher ground before they take the larva, their own children. So they'll let their own children drown before they let their drug stash get washed away. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, it may, confer some type of benefit to the ants but but we're not we're not exactly sure it just it's a testament to how powerful these drugs can be um and you know without having any background in this i'm just going to assume that the reason behind most of these the drug use with these animals is the euphoric sense that they get they're not obviously not seeking some sort of uh, you know, mind expanding experience. It has to be a sensational experience for the body, right? In, yeah, in most I, of these cases. I would think so. The only exceptions to that might be the reindeer who use Amanita muscaria. And Amanita muscaria is, it's not a classic psychedelic like like the magic mushrooms. This is the Mario mushroom, which we discussed before. But it definitely has more of a, a psychedelic component than, than most of these other plants and drugs we've talked about. Uh, so... Yeah, I'll just, I won't discuss it again. If you guys want to hear about the reindeer, uh, go back to, I think it was episode number two that I did, or maybe three with you guys, and check that out. I think it was two? No, I think it was two, because last time we talked about the Aztec entheogen correct, complex. Correct, yep. correct. Yeah. Um, so in addition, we'll, we'll shift gears a little bit here. Uh, in addition to animals that use drugs, there are humans that use animals as drugs. And the, the use of animals as medicine is known as ethnozoopharmacognosy, or if they're specifically psychoactive or psychedelic animals, it's entheozoopharmacognosy, which is a, a heck of a word. That but is that is one heck of a word. Yeah, ethnozoopharmacognosy uh, is the study of humans' use of animals as medicine. So uh, bugs as drugs, if you will. <laughs> so, so the one famous one is but not a very good one i don't think is uh is the spanish fly many people have probably heard of spanish fly it's an aphrodisiac i'm not exactly sure how it's used but i don't think it's a i don't think it's very good or effective i think it sort of fell out of use uh i think it's kind of more of an irritant i'm not exactly sure how it works but apparently men will somehow take this uh in order to be more uh you know, potent in, in the bedroom. But there's much, much better aphrodisiacs than that. Like Yohimbe uh, is a really good aphrodisiac if anyone should need one. Um, while we're on the subject of aphrodisiacs, this is, this, is, this is not an aphrodisiac. You would never want to use this. Um, the Brazilian wandering spider, its bite can cause priapism, which is, or priapism, which is a dangerous and powerful erection. And most often men have to be hospitalized after they're bitten by this spider because they have a, a strong, long lasting erection that will not go down on its own. And they actually have to, if you have this, they have to stick a needle in you and remove out the blood before it clots. You could have to have your parts amputated if you do not get the clotted blood out of you oh, oh my god but wait what is it about the the spider bite that causes the blood to concentrate in that area so it's just a um it's a cocktail of of chemicals and actually i think this may be the most dangerous spider in the world there's there's very there's not very many spiders that will kill you 
and I think this is one of them. But even then, it, it doesn't kill very many people. It just gives them powerful erections. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't even want to go to Brazil after reading this anymore. It's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. It just sounds True. Yeah, well, you'd be the guy to go into the jungle, too. Yeah, exactly. Where That's right. where they live. Right, right. Uh, um, but yeah, it contains a, a cocktail of, of compounds. And one of them is something like Viagra. So uh, it just it just leads to, I'm not exactly sure the mechanism of how Viagra works, but I think it's a, a similar chemical that uh, that these spiders inject into people. Yeah, I don't know how Viagra works, how it concentrates the blood flow to that specific region of the body. Yeah, me neither. And, and this uh, priapism uh, thing can happen from, from Viagra as well. So, you know, people should be very, very careful with that because that sounds really terrible to have that here's happen. our public service announcement yeah, yeah erection yeah, right. more than four hours uh be, please see <laughs> be careful with uh brazilian wandering spiders and viagra or yeah. you, you may have to go to the doctor uh, um one, one of the most have you guys ever heard of this like uh this like deer antler velvet stuff yeah yes so yeah. i know uh, oh, man i think uh yeah a, a guy that i work with had it was a supplement it was like a uh-huh in a in a bottle and i think it was called like deer antler or something like that yeah and yeah he's like you want some deer antler and i said no uh i don't know what it's used for right yeah it's i think it's the sort of velvety stuff that uh that is on like this sort of powdery stuff that's on the outside of the antler mm-hmm. and it contains like steroids or some some sort of uh compounds a growth hormone of some kind. Exactly. Right. So, He's a very big guy. Must yes. So bodybuilders and you know uh, fighters and stuff will will use the uh, the deer antler, um, but you know uh, it's uh, steroids or something that I, I would never recommend to people. It just doesn't seem worth it. I would just say work out more because it can cause all sorts of issues with you know your testicles and your body and then your your body can't make its own testosterone after you do it and, and all these weird things so yeah, i would kind of right uh, stay away from that one but you know up to up to people of course it is a supplement that you can just buy online the deer um, antlers but so that's that's actually what it is it's a, it's a type of steroid that enhances, sure. enhances muscle building in some way I, exactly exactly okay. um yeah, but that's, you know, it's, it's easily obtainable. Not that I'm recommending anyone do it. Right. Um, probably one of the most famous animals that are used as drugs would be Bufo alvarius, uh, which is the Colorado River toad or the Sonoran Desert toad. And it's been reclassified into another genus. And I can't remember the other genus, but it's, if you Google Bufo alvarius, you'll, you'll find information about it. It lives, obviously, in Colorado and the, the Sonoran Desert. And uh, it has these big glands sort of behind its eyes. They're actually bigger than its eyes, these, these big, huge glands. And this, from what I can tell, this is a modern practice. Nobody, uh, I, I don't, I'm not aware of any ancient cultures that did this, but people will uh, squeeze these, the glands of these frogs over like a plate or a, or a piece of glass or something. And then that venom will squirt out. It's like a whitish, yellowish, venom and they'll then let it dry and you stick it in a pipe and you smoke it and it contains dmt 5-meo dmt uh bufotenin and related compounds so it's it's basically like smoking dmt and you blast off into hyperspace and talk to machine elves and and things like that can you can you describe what a dmt trip or experience is like yeah, sure. So, um, you know, DMT and 5-MO DMT are what are in the toad. Uh, and so DMT is produced by the, by the brain uh, at certain times in, in one's life. And actually, bufotenin, another compound in it, is, is produced by schizophrenics in much higher amounts. And it may be one of the reasons why they, they're constantly hearing voices and, and all these strange things. They, they've noticed that schizophrenics have really high amounts of bufotenin in their urine, so, which sounds horrible. So it's basically like they're tripping all the time and they can never stop, which sounds really terrible. Ooh, but, yeah. yeah, not fun. No, not at all. Um, but the DMT experience is you know dmt is an ayahuasca so that would be an oral uh dmt and that can last you know four to six or seven hours 
uh, ayahuasca is, of course, a, a compound drug, a mixture of DMT and, and beta carbolines. But the DMT uh, pure is often smoked. And you, you, you basically smoke it and you go to another place. Uh, Terrence McKenna is the, the best one. Back to Terrence McKenna. He, you know, listen to his stuff about it. He describes smoking it and entering an, another dimension and you often will meet with these beings um he calls them self-transforming machine elves uh so sometimes they're sometimes they're insectoid like giant uh robot praying mantises and things like that and you'll also see kaleidoscopes and you know crazy colors it's probably one of the most powerful visionary substances on earth if not the most powerful but one great thing about dmt now this is illegal in the united states uh so go to peru or something if you want to do it but one of the great things about it is that because it's made by the body your your body chemistry knows how to process it so it's very very safe you can't overdose on it and because your your body knows how to process it the experience only lasts about 10 or 15 minutes and then you're basically completely back to normal except for the intense uh you know download of information you just received from entering another dimension and talking to you know aliens and whatnot uh, but other than that you're back to normal <laughs> <laughs> that's why people take it right to sort of yeah. enter this new realm and see if they can gather up some sort of beneficial experience to use in their normal exactly. real life there was actually a, a, a forum that I was on a number of years ago and these guys were, they would do like synchronized blast off where they would, you know, set a time. They would use like, uh, you know, Eastern standard time at 12 noon. We're all going to smoke DMT at the same exact time. And they would try to find each other in hyperspace to see if they could connect with one another. And they had some sort of um, that they would write something down on a piece of paper and not tell anybody and see if the other guys could tell them what they had written on this piece of paper, basically to prove that they were getting legitimate information from, from this experience and, and able to actually contact other beings or, or, uh, you know, other conscious, uh, beings. I'm not, I, I don't know what happened. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm not sure they ever got, to anything. This is interesting because I was just listening to, again, going back to Rogan, he had an astrophysicist on the podcast and they got onto the topic of consciousness and what it is. And on the one hand, you have people who think that we are essentially tapping into something. We have mm -hmm. evolved to be capable to tap into uh, some sort of, not a radio wave, but some sort of wave that exists yep. that we're pulling information from. And that's what consciousness is. And then you have the scientists who are just um, under who who believe that the, the the consciousness is just the conclusion or the end result of brain activity of the atoms and the cells reacting in a certain way that then create the capability for us to even have this consciousness and that's all it is and so um, right. and that seems to be more likely to me uh, you yeah. know I guess everybody's different but. The, the interesting thing is, or the, the thing that helps push that point is that when you do throw in a drug, mm -hmm. your consciousness changes and therefore it's just, you can then go back and say, okay, it's a, you know, you're changing the chemistry, your consciousness yeah. changes. Therefore our consciousness is a result of brain chemistry and not a not really tapping into some other dimension to pull that from. Right. Um, the only, I would, I would tend to agree with you and I tend to lean in that direction, but the only thing that would make me sort of lean in the other direction is that shamans and, and corenderos, uh, especially in the Amazon or, or all over the world, really, they sometimes can get information. Like one thing they'll do is, uh, they can find lost items or they can, this is a common thing that shamans do all over the world. You're like, Hey, I lost my keys. Uh, you know, I'll work on your farm for six hours if you, you trip out and tell me where my keys are. And they'll be like, your keys are in the left-hand drawer in your house. And then you go in there and open it and your keys are there. <laughs> um, and there's documented cases of this. So this is pretty strange. Um, I have one quick story and then we'll get back to animals which uh, are used as drugs. So I was 
in the Amazon taking ayahuasca with my friend Tomas. And we were with the shaman uh, Don Alberto, who is just an amazing, amazing man. He's a Machinga and Huachapiri native. And so me and Tomas, uh, we had seen a jaguar walking down the path. And it was like we were following it. And we could see its tail sort of whipping around the path as we, as we followed it. Uh, well, we went outside and, and we took a pee. And uh, Tomas came at the same time as me. And we were looking at the stars. We were quite far away from the hut. And we were speaking in English. And Don Alberto does not speak English. And I said, yeah, man, I saw, I saw a jaguar walking down the path. And he was like, dude, I did too. And we were like, wow, that's really crazy that we saw the same thing. But, you know, that's not that crazy. We're in the jungle. We're thinking about jaguars, whatever. Um, so after the ceremony's over and we're sitting with Don Alberto, he sort of just asked, you know, how was it? And we were like, oh, it was good. And he was like, you and Tomas saw the jaguar walking down the path. And we just looked at each other like, what in the world? How did he know that? And this, a similar thing has happened to my, my wife, actually, when she took ayahuasca, um, she saw a small child, a girl, and Alberto, without being prompted in any way, shape, or form, we had not talked at all, he goes, you saw your daughter. That was, that's Scott and your daughter, and, you know, one day she's going to be with you. And we were just like, oh, my, and I didn't know what he was talking about, but Isabel almost started crying and, and was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe you know that. So there, so that makes me kind of lean in the other direction. Right, although, right. although, you know, I, I maybe it's a trick. I, I don't know. I don't know how it's done. Yeah. But uh, real fast, and then we'll go back to animals and drugs. So, you know, I consider these compounds, which have evolved over millions of years. Uh, Terrence McKenna one time said about the mushroom, the mushroom says, I require the nervous system of a mammal. So I think these chemicals in some ways evolved, and I'm not sure I believe this 100%, so this is just an idea, but basically these chemicals evolved as bio, biochemical communicators, uh, intraspecies biochemical communicators, so that the plant world is able to talk to the humans in a, in a way that's, that's very powerful and direct. So when you ingest one of these substances, you are, it's the closest you're ever going to get to talking to a tree or a plant. Mm. Um, and perhaps they, you know, if, if the, uh, the Gaia theory is, is real, uh, if, you know, Pachamama mother earth is alive, perhaps she, uh, produced these plants to try to save herself from the crazy humans who are destroying the planet and need to be woken up. And many people get messages of, you know, saving the environment, um, being better people and, and all these things from, from these psychedelic plants. So, you know, that's just a theory, not saying I, I completely believe that. I, I have a friend who talked to me about his experience um, taking mushrooms where he's not a big environmental guy at all, really right. at all, has no interest in it, just kind of goes about his normal life and doesn't really consider it, uses plastic bottles and the whole thing, just doesn't really care. Uh, and he knows I'm a big environmental guy. And so one day we're talking and he's telling me about his experience and he's like, dude, he's like, I, I, I took mushrooms and I kind of had this revelation where I realized that we're essentially living on this planet and we're just using everything up and we're mm -hmm. destroying it by doing so. And it, it woke him up. It woke up a guy that has no interest and did not, never went out of his way to understand the environmental impact of human society. And then suddenly took this drug and just understood it. Yep. It, it made sense to him that all of our actions have an outcome that most of the time harm the planet in some way. We're using resources, we're burning things, we're, we're mm -hmm. polluting our waterways. And for, I, I mean, I couldn't explain it. And I was like, dude, yeah, like this is my normal life. I think about this all the time. It's a shame that you had to take this to understand it, but I'm glad that you finally did. And then shortly after that, a few weeks later, or maybe a month or so later, I asked him, you know, after you had that experience, do you, do you think about the environment more? And he does. He said he, he, he hasn't made any significant changes, mm -hmm. but he, he thinks about it on a more regular basis and kind of that, that entire process, he now grasps it more than he ever did. So that, right. I found that really remarkable. It was like really interesting to me that, that it, it affected his brain chemistry that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think um, entheogens and psychedelics are the, they're the slap in the face that, that Western or, or capitalist culture, not that I have a problem with either one of those things, but when, it, when it's at the, 
when we're sacrificing the environment for those things, I have a problem with that. But I think, you know, these plants and compounds are the, the slap in the face or the, or the kick in the ass that Western culture needs to wake up because we're so deep in this idea of consuming and, and you know, destroying our, our beautiful planet. Um, but yeah, I, I find it super interesting that, that the entheogens and the psychedelics have this effect. Like if someone asks you, you know, uh, well, what's the effect of cocaine? And you're like, oh, it's like, it's stimulating. You feel awake. You don't feel hungry. You know, okay, what's the effect of morphine? Oh, you feel uh, sedated and it, it kills pain, you know? And then if you ask, uh, well, what's the effect of, of psychedelics? And it's like, well, sit down. How long do you have? Because this is going to be a two-hour conversation about it makes you feel in love with the with the planet. It, it, it makes you care more about your family. You know, it has these strange, strange effects that that do not fit in in the box of like stimulation sedation it, it, it's just these really weird uh right weird things that happen to you <laughs> yeah. but uh, before so, we run out of time go ahead yeah yeah do uh we're, we're gonna have to hop off soon so so okay. yeah let's let's get it in all right back into it uh we'll, we'll go lightning round uh people some people in pakistan smoke uh scorpion venom and apparently it makes you incredibly sick for like four to six hours, like vomiting and your head feels like someone hit you with a hammer. And then after that, you feel great. Uh, and <laughs> it doesn't seem to be a cultural practice. It seems to be a practice done by a few people. Um, and some drugs to treat cancer and HIV or AIDS have been developed from scorpion venom. Um, in Nepal and other parts of the old world, such as around the Black Sea, there is psychoactive honey. And bees can actually, bees do not get intoxicated by the same compounds that we do. And they will harvest uh, nectar or, or pollen from plants like Atropa belladonna, which is one of the baneful or botanicals or hexing herbs that we talked about, or plants like rhododendron. And the chemicals from these plants will concentrate in the honey. And it's known as mad honey or, uh, you know, drunk honey and things like that. You can actually get it in Nepal and you can get it in Turkey. But... If you take too much, it's toxic, much like alcohol. So if you overdo it, you're going to get super sick. Um, sometime around uh, 67 BC, uh, Roman soldiers invaded the Black Sea region under the command of Pompey. And the, uh, the enemies who were waiting for them, they lined, uh, you know, they, they put this honeycomb in various places and also little bits of food and stuff. Well, the Romans ingested the mad honeycomb because they thought it was regular honey, got super sick, and the enemy came out and killed them all. Jesus. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, what else? Oh, off the, off the coast of Madagascar, there are dream fish. They are fish that make you drunk and dream. Uh, these are like mullet fish or goat fish, uh, and they certain times of the year, they contain compounds that, that are psychoactive. Uh, Hamilton Morris has uh, Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia, which is a great show, and he investigates in one episode the dream fish. So it, it has a, a drunkening effect, and then it also makes you dream. They're also known in Hawaii as the nightmare fish. And in Madagascar, they're actively uh, sought out by people to use specifically as a, as a psychoactive. And then I, our, like, ahead, I don't know any of these. No, no. Yeah, yeah. That's why I wanted to do this episode, because nobody, <laughs> nobody knows about this stuff. Um, I got, I got two more things. Okay. Uh, so, you know, uh, frogs and toads have long been associated with witchcraft and, and shamanism and whatnot. But as far as I can tell, and if I'm wrong, someone send me a message and tell me. But I'm, as far as I can tell, no one actually licks frogs. That is, that is a myth. <laughs> That's um, from Family Guy, Bob. Right, right, yeah. Um, but they do something even stranger with frogs. There's a frog called uh, the giant monkey frog, Phylomedusa bicolor, that lives in the Amazon. It's used by the Matses and other native groups. And they will, like, it looks like the frog's going to be drawn and quartered. They put four sticks in the ground, and they stretch the frog out, but they don't, they don't, uh, they don't chop it up or anything. They, they sort of poke it and make it angry. It excretes this white, foamy stuff from its back. Uh, this foamy stuff contains novel opioid peptides, which are much, much stronger than morphine. They take a stick and burn your arm, kind of peel off that little layer of skin, and then they rub this secretion into that burn. It 
causes you to almost immediately start puking. Uh, you have hot <laughs> flashes, blood flushing to your face, and sometimes your face swells up and makes you look like a toad, which is hilarious. There's a picture of my friend Brandon, <laughs> and he looks like a frog after doing this. I've never done this one. Um, but, but wait, after, what are the benefits? That sounds horrible. So after the okay. terrible effects, and, and we got to remember that purging is considered a very positive thing in the Amazon because of the parasites that they would often get from water or different things. Purging was almost always a good thing. So we have to keep that in mind. Um, but after these negative effects wear off, you feel euphoria, a great stimulation, and they say it makes your senses better. You're able to, uh, to hear better, to see further. You're, you're, you can run faster. Um, so the, the native groups in the Amazon use this before they go hunting. And they also will sometimes rub the venom in the nose of their dogs, which they think makes the dogs smell better, uh, be able to smell game better. And then the, the last thing we'll go into, I got a couple more, but maybe we're running out of time. Yeah. Um, well, there's bighorn sheep eat a psychoactive lichen that they nibble off of rocks. And I don't have much more information than that. But uh, yeah, bighorn sheep uh, eat this lichen. And then there's this really new research about cicadas. And this is obviously, the cicada does not do this willingly. Um, it gets infected by this fungus. And the fungus contains psilocybin and it seems to intoxicate the cicada and the cicada will fly around like in weird patterns and drop the spores of this fungus onto its cicada buddies, which then become infected. Uh, this is similar to the cordyceps mushroom, which will infect ants in the Amazon and other parts of the world. And it like invades their brain, takes over their nervous system and causes them to climb to the tops of trees where they're eaten by birds. And then the uh, fungal spores are then dispersed in the bird's uh, poop. And, and, the, and the life cycle continues. <laughs> Man, nature's it, awesome. It is. Yeah. It's incredible. Um, yeah. I thought, I, I heard of that one. For some reason, I thought the ant, the, the fungus forces the ant to climb to like a branch above the colony. And then the spores are then protrude from the body and then sort of burst over the colony. Maybe I'm thinking you know, of something else. You, you might be right. In some, in some cases, that, that might be the, the case. Maybe I, uh, I misspoke there. So people should uh, I, it, check it, I'm not sure about what I just said either. <laughs> there, there's so many different funguses. And uh, they, I think it was the first Planet Earth documentary. They yep. had a good episode on, the, on some of these funguses. And the you were able to see the, the way they took over the body and, and ended up protruding from the bodies of these insects. It was, it was mind blowing at the time. I think you're right. I think there's another uh, related compound in, yeah, that's right. There's a, there's something in snails that causes them to uh, sort of lose their mind and, uh, and climb to the top of branches. I misspoke. It's, it's uh, and, and the snails get eaten by birds, but the ant sort of just like fruits into a fungus and the spores fly everywhere. And they burst, um, they explode over the colony and it like wipes it out. They all get like, you know, more of them get infected and. You're, you're exactly right. That's, that's what happens. Yeah. Um, wow. the, the last <laughs> little anecdote I'll say, uh, there is reports in ancient Mesoamerica of a certain, uh, I believe it's a, a duck, a psychoactive duck that eats uh, detura and other of the uh, baneful botanicals and the flesh of the bird then becomes psychoactive. And the Aztecs would uh, apparently use this, although there's hardly any information about it. So there's, there's even psychoactive birds. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Well, hey, listen, I, we appreciate you coming on again. Uh, as, as always, a wealth of knowledge uh, as far as plants and animals go. And we learn a ton every time we talk to you. Every time. Yeah. Yeah. This is really cool. And, and as we discussed, for those listening, Scott's going to come on again to actually take us through the tours that you offer in yep. detail. So we'll, we'll get an idea of what it's like to actually experience the Amazon jungle with you, the animals that we'll see, the plants that we'll, that we'll get to try. And we're really looking forward to that conversation. So yeah, uh, real absolutely. Quick, before we, uh, you jump off, send yep. out your website one more time. Okay. Um, so my website is uh, ethnoco.com. That's www.ethnoco.com. 
And our motto at EthnoCo is helping people help plants help people. So yeah, check out the website. Last thing I'll leave you with, Salamander Brandy. Just, just Google it. Salamander Brandy. <laughs> Salamander Brandy. Salamander Brandy. Okay. Yep. yep. <laughs> All right. Thanks, <laughs> Some guys. homework to do. Right. Hey, yeah, thank you very much, man. We'll, we'll, we'll be in touch. Appreciate it. So something that is becoming more prevalent in my mind uh, that as we learn more about the plants, the flora, the, the, the animal life in South America is how important it is to preserve it because we don't even know the extent of which uh, we're losing in, in as far as medicine goes, uh, as far as biodiversity goes. There's so much there that it's hard to calculate what's going to be lost. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And it's, it's really interesting how certain governments don't really want to explore it or explore the potential benefits of a lot of these animals and psychoactive drugs and how they could help mental illnesses. It's, well, it's, it's short, it's, yeah, it's short-sighted, right? It always comes back to being short-sighted and yeah. because if someone there's, it's not like there's no economic uh, gain, right? And then that's typically like, you know, the environment, unfortunately, doesn't have a price tag and i think that's part of the reason it's being destroyed without any care right yeah. but i know that there's someone oh, where did i see this i don't know if it was a netflix or a, like a nat geo documentary or something i read but there are people now that are trying to uh develop a way to sort of bring the environment put a number on the environment essentially is what they're trying to do as a new form of environmental activism and say I hey like by saving this, we save or we gain X number of dollars. Yeah. I need to look into that, actually. Uh, that's that's really interesting now that it would be a good idea for a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, uh, it's, not to get too far on a tangent, but that is, there is something that exists for trees in suburban communities and urban environments where it essentially puts a number on the value of the tree. And it's really interesting how some some like 60 to 70 year old shade trees like big trees that provide a lot of canopy and cover over buildings or over sidewalks and pavement are valued at 75 to a hundred thousand dollars wow yeah wow interesting that's really cool yeah that's you know what I'm, I'm gonna write that down let's explore that further so anyway <laughs> it, it, scott as always very informative great conversationalist and we were happy to have him on so check out you know if you like the the episodes not only check out the previous ones but go to his website and when you can travel again and you want to go go to south america he's your guy ethnoco check it out yeah yeah so if you're whatever podcast form you're listening on leave us a rating and follow us on social media instagram facebook shoot us a message on instagram or facebook if you have a suggestion on our next guest you can also reach us at an, our email thetravelersblueprint.com and thank you thank you very much for listening and tune in next week <laughs>